You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello to the herd. For the next two months, Unbiased Science is conducting a listener survey to help us get to know you, your interests, and what you think of the show. Please support the podcast by taking the short questionnaire at surveymonkey.com forward slash r forward slash airwave. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback will help us improve unbiased science and the sponsors that connect with you. Plus, as a way of saying thank you, you will be entered to win a $500 Amazon gift card. Again, that's surveymonkey.com forward slash r forward slash airwave. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love. And this week, we are tackling just a handful of, I don't know, endless TikTok trends that have gone viral. We're going to dig into the science and the data behind them or lack of data behind them. But before we do that, first, we want to acknowledge that this is the very first episode that we've done where we're recording video. So this is going to be um, an experiment of sorts. (laughs) We're working out the kink of our home offices and our space. Welcome to my very dark office. I have eight lamps on and I still look like a ghost, so... I feel like we're on a romantic date right now. Or so like we're like, I'm sitting, you know, across from you, across candlelight. Um, But I was telling Andrea that I have, you know, four dogs and they're for sure, at least one of them is going to barge into this office because the doors don't lock. So, you know, just roll with this for now. We plan to work out kinks. The other thing is that if you haven't already tuned into last week's episode, definitely check that out. That episode was called Wait a Minute. Let's chat BMI and obesity. And we were joined by Dr. Spencer Nadolsky, who is a board certified obesity and lipid specialist physician to tackle the topic of obesity. So definitely go back and check that out. And Andrea, you know, I feel like we've never acknowledged or patted ourselves on the back for our punny pod titles. I feel like other people take note of that. It's something that we're very proud of. (laughs) Although I will say it's like awkward sometimes when it's a very like serious topic and it's like, right? You know, it's like, yeah, is it, is it inappropriate to make a pun about this? But anyway, just wanted to acknowledge that. All right. So I am going to go ahead and admit that every night before bed, I fall asleep scrolling TikTok. Andrea, you have only recently downloaded TikTok because I keep sending you links to absurd TikTok videos. <laughs> um, but I, I'm, I'm always on there. Honestly, it helps my brain sort of unwind and I like looking at like mindless content. But it also helps me identify or helps us identify some trends that have gone viral. You know, what are the kids talking about these days? And so what we did is we, we took a handful of those viral trends, and we're going to talk about those here. We've done several posts that have addressed this, and, you know, there are so many of these that this is for sure going to become a series of sorts. But shall we start with the parasite cleanse, Andrea? 
yeah, let's let's go ahead and dig in. <laughs> all right, so people are drinking these concoctions. There are all different types of them. I guess the main one that people are talking about is called Paragard, but there are other things like people are eating, is it papaya seeds? There are other mixes that people are recommending that are supposed to be parasiticides and basically cleanse the body of parasites. Typically, these are you know, supplements that contain a, a mixture of various herbs and, and you know, food extracts and things like that. So, you know, if you go to the Paragard website, it has, you know, it obviously it, it claims to have a unique blend of things, including pumpkin seed and garlic and wormwood and, and other sorts of additives in there. And they're super convincing because if you've seen these videos, and honestly, anytime I open TikTok, I see at least a dozen of them on my For You page. But, you know, they'll say, I've seen the worms come out in my poop. I've seen them with my own eyes. How can you tell me it doesn't work? The problem with this is that even if this was to work, the majority of parasites or you know things that we would be ridding ourselves our, our bodies of would not appear as worms in our poop. That's first of all. Second of all, what you're you know what you're probably seeing is either undigested or partially digested food or things like mucus threads. I mean, there are all different types of poop. I you know we've started doing some posts on poop. People like talking about poop. People like talking so we'll about do poop. more of that. But you're not seeing parasitic worms. So yeah. these things act as laxatives, right? So you take it or you drink it or whatever it is, and they do a really good job of making you go to the bathroom and, and you know, and so it's not entirely unexpected that you would see some stuff in your poop. Again, undigested foods and, you know, these mucus threads. So that's what you're seeing. So obviously there are a lot of different parasites, right? And so parasites is a term that's broadly used to describe any sort of organism that lives in or on a host and uses the host for survival. So they're... In many ways, there are a lot of things that are parasites. Technically, viruses are parasites because they cannot reproduce without a host organism or the cells in a host organism to reproduce in. But when we talk about, you know, gastrointestinal parasites, there's a really broad array. A lot of people think about things like tapeworms, which are common parasites of, of your pets, uh, dogs and cats. But there are other things that are microscopic um, that live in what we call the protozoan family. And so examples of those would be uh, very commonly um, um, something like toxoplasma, which is toxoplasma gondii, which is a parasite that actually reproduces in cats and is the reason why pregnant women aren't supposed to clean the litter box because you can be immunosuppressed and you can get infected and have, you know, more serious illness than if you were not. But there's lots of other things. So another one is called um, Giardia lamblia. And a lot of you have probably heard of Giardia, and I have a plushie of him somewhere, but he's not She's available. I've got a plush. I've got a plush. <laughs> um, but, but Giardia is a parasite. It's a single-celled parasite, so it's microscopic. You would not see it. Um, and it causes Giardiasis, which is, or uh, it, it's a stomach intestinal bug, right, essentially. So it causes diarrhea. You can get contaminated through the contaminated water, contaminated soil, contaminated food that have the parasites in it, and you need medication in order to treat that. So you would take an actual antiparasitic agent, um, very similar to what you would take for 
actual parasitic infections, and that would ultimately kill those parasites, and you would be free of symptoms. But there are other things like roundworms and hookworms and things like that. Some are more common than others, but again, parasites as a class can range from single cell, you can't see them with your eye, to very large tapeworms. But even if you had something like a large tapeworm, if you're pooping it out, I guess for lack of a better phrase, it's not generally not coming out as a huge intact worm. It's going to break off in segments and and actually, you know, tapeworm eggs and segments are things that you can often find in, in cat and dog feces as well. It's not going to come out of this stringy thing that people are sharing on TikTok that's evidence of this, you know, parasitic infection that they had. You know, ultimately what you're doing with these, these sorts of um, supplements, these are supplements that are unregulated that are being sold to, you know, treat your parasites is you're causing dehydration, you're probably sloughing off some of the epithelial cells that line your gut. These cells are pretty fragile and they do turn over at a high rate um, because, you know, the gut environment can be a little bit hostile to those cells, but you don't need to exacerbate that by eating things that are going to irritate it, which is essentially what these parasitic cleanses are doing. You're irritating your gastrointestinal tract. You're not ridding your body of parasites. Well, and clinical docs, I've seen so many videos basically begging people not to do this because it is really potentially very dangerous, especially because people are doing this over and over again on a daily basis. And as you said, you know, there are all kinds of risks, not the least of which includes dehydration. The other thing that people who, who tout these parasite cleanses is that they're, I think you addressed this, they're really overstating the incidence of parasitic infections. And I think the, the statistic that I see very frequently on TikTok is over 80% of people have a worm inside of them and don't right. know it. No. And of course, you know, that's scary to hear, especially if you don't have any, you know, background in, in, in science or medicine. And then the other thing I wanted to mention, so the people who are eating the papaya seeds, this is a, you know, appeal to nature fallacy. And I know we're going to talk about, it's going to be a recurrent trend in what we're talking about on this episode and on so many episodes, but they're like, oh, just eat a spoonful of papaya seeds. And, you know, that acts as a parasite cleanse. But the seeds have high concentrations of cyanide. So I think it's something, and I'm sorry, I don't know this offhand. I think it's, you're not supposed to consume more than a teaspoon per day over concerns about exposure to cyanide. And then for sure, if you're pregnant, it is really not recommended that, that you do this or any parasite cleanse of any kind. So there are, I guess this is one of those things where people are like, oh, what's the harm? It can be harmful. So I want to just talk about some stats. So just to kind of, you know, yes, there are parasitic infections in the U.S., but the vast majority of them are, first of all, not these worms that people are referring to. Definitely not 80%. The most common parasitic infection in the U.S. would be the pathogen that causes a disease called Chagas disease. It's a microscopic parasite called Trypanosoma cruzi. You wouldn't see it in your poop. You wouldn't see it. But even as the most prevalent parasitic infection in the U.S., it's about 0.1% of the population is estimated to have that. The other more most common parasitic infections in the U.S. besides Chagas disease would be um, toxoplasmosis, which I mentioned, again, microscopic parasite, toxocariosis, um, cystocercosis, trichomoniasis, and um, cyclosporiasis. 
All of these are microscopic parasites. They are not big tapeworms. They're not worms that are living in your gut. And again, these are, you know, on the order of less than, for trichomoniasis, this is, this is very common, can cause pregnancy problems. And even that one is less than 1% of the population is estimated to have it. So again, not 80%, not worms living in your gut, not going to be cured by um, taking these supplements um, over the counter. And there are certain populations or areas of the world where there are going to be, you know, higher rates of these issues. But again, you know, what's going viral on TikTok is just so overstated. And look, as someone, I'm probably going to get heat for this, but I'm going to say it, I'm, you know, I, I'm a Jewish mother. I have all kinds of GI problems. My state is constantly like anxious stomach, nauseous. I'm always having poop issues. And no, I don't think it's just because I'm a Jewish mother. I'm making a joke. But like, you know, I get why some people are you know, targeted by this or, or, you know, this resonates with them because they're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I feel bloated. I feel nauseated. I have stomach issues. Like, let me try this out, but it does not come without risks. And again, what you're seeing in your poop, those are not parasites or worms. And anyway, I think we, I think we debunked this one. Should we move on? I want to talk about lymphatic drainage next <laughs> because this is in my wheelhouse. So lymphatic drainage or lymphatic massage um, is very popular on the TikTok. Uh, I'm calling it the TikTok so you guys can understand how old I am. But the claim is, of course, as with most of the TikTok claims, that it's detoxing your body. It also claims to improve skin health, uh, reduce fine lines and wrinkles, reduce bloating, promote relaxation, uh, improve your appearance, reduce post-workout soreness, and also improve congestion from various illnesses or ailments. So the claim is that by performing this type of massage, called lymphatic drainage massage. You're removing the toxins from your body. You're also moving sluggish lymph. And they also claim that this is going to, you know, um, alleviate a, a whole array of ailments. So let's talk a little bit about some of these terms first. So lymphatic drainage massage, also called manual lymphatic drainage, is a real thing that has been described in clinical literature. So it is described as a type of massage where the skin is rubbed in rhythmic directed movements toward the nearest lymph nodes of your body. So your body is full of the lymphatic system, which is kind of like the circulatory system for your immune system. So you have lymph nodes that are junctions throughout the body where immune cells congregate, where um, drainage occurs, where bacteria can be shuttled into in order to be killed by the immune system and, and so on and so forth. So lymph fluid or lymph is a almost transparent liquid that circulates uh, throughout the body through the lymphatic vessel. So you can think of it as you know, akin to the circulatory system and blood, but the lymphatic system and lymph. So lymph is part of the immune system. It's derived from extracellular fluid. So this is fluid that your cells are constantly being bathed in all the time, in between all the junctions of adjacent cells. Um, and it's circulated, again, by the lymphatic vessels. And lymph is um, predominantly one of its functions is to return proteins and excess fluid back to the bloodstream where it can be used by the body. It also will pick up bacteria, transport it to the lymph nodes where the bacteria will be destroyed by the immune cells. Um, the lymphatic system is also the, the shuttle or the route that metastatic cancer cells will hijack. So they'll break off and they'll get into the lymphatic system and they'll travel throughout the 
lymphatic system from all over the body, and it also transports fats uh, from the blood from the digestive tract into the blood and and on all sorts of things. So. The lymph fluid is always circulating in your body. It's always getting shuttled to the lymph nodes. It's always draining. It's always moving around. Um, There is a medical condition called lymphedema where lymph fluid will build up. And this typically happens in situations where there is a legitimate medical issue and the lymph nodes cannot drain properly. So basically, you know, let's, we'll we'll use the axillary lymph node because I'm on video, but you have a bunch of lymph nodes in your armpit area. And what will happen is um, either because of injury or illness, this could be an infectious disease or or cancer is, is much commonly associated with issues with lymphedema, but the fluid can't drain it most often happens in the arms and the legs, and as a result, it, it's visible swelling, pain, etc. So lymphedema often happens when the lymph when the lymphatic system is damaged, where the fluid can't drain properly, and this often happens after cancer surgery. So it's been most commonly studied in the context of breast cancer surgery because some of breast you have lymph nodes here, breast cancer surgery here, breast cancer is often very close to the lymphatic system, the mammary ducts, and the whole architecture. And so the lymph nodes are often removed in this surgery. So as a result, the lymphatic system is damaged. The lymph nodes might not be working properly because some of them have been removed. And of course, lymphedema might occur. So often symptoms are swelling, the skin feeling tight, redness, pain, feeling hot, tingling, numbness, a loss of flexibility or mobility, and so on. So there is some evidence, and it will it's low to moderate quality, that lymphatic massage or manual lymphatic drainage can be helpful in alleviating lymphedema associated with breast cancer surgery. So basically, after breast cancer surgery, you often are wearing a chest kind of wrap that acts as a compressor to prevent fluid buildup. Usually there's drainage tubes put in to help excess fluid from, you know, routing it elsewhere in the body or just outright draining it. And so there's been some studies, a few mm, limited limited quality randomized controlled trials, but meta-analyses and systematic reviews have have kind of found that there's low to moderate quality evidence of manual lymphatic drainage in the context of true lymphedema. So Typically, if there's severe, uh, moderate to severe lymphedema, the manual lymphatic drainage doesn't really offer a substantial benefit in addition to your actual decongestive therapy like compression bandages. It doesn't also appear to prevent lymphedema, particularly after breast cancer surgery. But in some instances with mild lymphedema, it may reduce the progression to more severe swelling. So typically you're doing like a rhythmic massage kind of near the armpit or, you know, the side or things like that. The overall consensus, especially even in the context of actual medical indications like breast cancer surgery associated lymphedema, is that better studies need to be conducted. Um, There are limited data with regard to randomized controlled trials, and there doesn't seem to be a huge advantage um, compared to traditional methods of decongestion of lymphedema. There's also been some data where they looked at other sorts of um, situations where lymphedema might present, like um, knee replacement surgery, and they found maybe a little bit of improvement in range of motion and reduction in pain, but it wasn't different from the standard, again, compression care and and other sorts of mobility treatments. So big takeaway so far, manual lymphatic drainage is something that is used 
for specific situations where you have true lymph buildup because your lymph system is not working properly. However, even in those instances, the data are really low quality and probably not substantially better than traditional methods. Um, But let's talk about the TikTok claims. So the lymphatic system plays a role in detoxification because it helps filter debris, artifacts, dead bacteria, dead white blood cells, all sorts of stuff. But The biggest player in detoxification of your body is your liver, your kidneys, your lungs, uh, your excretory system, and you don't need to help it. You don't need to massage your lymph system to help it along the way. And this is one of the problems, I think, with all of these pseudoscience topics is they take this little nugget that has some science basis, and then they manipulate it or they extrapolate it to something that doesn't have scientific basis. So yeah, there's no evidence that manual lymphatic drainage or lymphatic massage supports any of the purported TikTok claims. Now, while it is probably relatively safe, there are certain issues where you should not try and do this. Things, if you have circulatory issues, if you have kidney issues, kidney disease, kidney failure, heart conditions, if you have blood clots, or if you have an infection, you don't need to be messing with your lymphatic system when it's doing its job to fight off an infection. So I think, you know, generally speaking, it's not going to be harmful for the, to the vast majority of people who subscribe to it and who want to pay a massage therapist to give them a lymphatic massage, but it's definitely not removing toxins from your body, and it's definitely not doing any of the other things that um, they're claiming it does. I was going to say, I would pay money just to have someone touch my body, massage <laughs> me, just because I'm so tense all the time. But as, as you've articulated so beautifully, it's not doing all of these things. The lymphatic system does not need help to move it along, you know, the risk is is low for the majority of us, right? But the benefits really aren't there. So yeah, so and this is so popular. There's a there's a tool. People have these tools. Oh the gua sha. Yeah. Yes. The gua sha. Yeah. So I again, yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, I like you say it. it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's basically, it's like a, it's like a hard, sometimes metal, sometimes plastic thing. And they claim that it's like moving to your lymph nodes in your, in your neck. And again, you like, it might feel really good to like massage your face, but it's, yeah, it's not detoxing your body and it's not reducing bloating or getting rid of cellulite or any of the other claims that I've seen, um, people recommending it for. Well, and these, you know, beautiful people, they're all greased up and they're gouache. <laughs> shawing their face and their body and then they'll say this was me before this is me after and all I'm thinking is well what else did you change during that time is it same time of day did you have this you know like they're all different factors are you using a filter are you touching up your photo like I saw this one I saw this one article from a naturopath who was you know promoting lymphatic drainage and like you could even see like the person was talking about how like their cellulite was reduced and like there was there was like a picture in the in the same photo the side by side and the picture was it was a shrunken photo it was literally a shrunken photo and i'm like photoshop right yeah so gua sha if you feel like it but you're not you're not yeah you're not detoxing your body your body again it's a very well regulated system and you don't need to help it along you know we just really don't give enough credit to our kidneys and liver and lungs and all that stuff because we're all so obsessed with detoxing and these amazing organs are doing it for us all the time 
All right, let's move on to mouth taping. So we just did a post on this and it's so interesting because I wasn't entirely sure how many people were actually doing this, but then I don't know if you noticed how many people were commenting like, oh, I've been doing this and I love mouth taping. So what is it? Well, first, let me just read the claims here. So some people claim it gives them more energy, sharper jawline, improved skin, mood and digestion, reduces brain fog, cavities, gum disease, and bad breath, and strengthens the immune system. Andrea, your favorite. Um, the, the Really, the number one thing that I've seen is that it helps reduce snoring. So the whole goal of this is you're putting a piece of tape on your mouth while you're sleeping. And the idea is that if you're a mouth breather, this is going to redirect your breath breathing from your mouth to your nose. And Andrea, as you said, there are some seeds of truth. You know, there are some downsides to mouth breathing, perusing the the, uh, the literature for this. There is some truth. Like we know that when we breathe through our mouth, that we're at an elevated risk of dry mouth and that dry mouth then increases acid production in our mouth, which could put us at greater risk of developing tooth decay, for example. But there are all kinds of potential risks that come with this. First of all, you should only be using, if you're doing this, and you should only do this after speaking with your clinician, you should only be using medical tape. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people on TikTok using things like duct tape or, um, I don't know, like masking tape and all different types of tape. No, don't do that. You know, some people have sensitive skin, you could have allergies, rashes, that first, that's just a terrible idea. Next, some people have anatomical issues that are preventing them from breathing through their nodes and causing them to breathe through their mouth. Things like deviated septums, um, there are other issues. Um, oh my goodness, why you'd think I'd have sleep apnea. Sleep apnea, um, that was the one. Yes. There's a lot of there's a lot of potential respiratory issues, but sleep apnea right. is a big one. A lot of people have undiagnosed respiratory issues that you know you might think that you don't have respiratory issues and then you try to do mouth taping and it does not, you know, doesn't end up well, you know? I mean, right. I have I have a very narrow nasal passage on this side of my nose from a, an old an old injury and I always feel chronically congested and realistically I should go to an ENT and get it fixed and dealt with and all that. But um yeah, I mouth breathe because that's how I get enough air in my body, you know? I get enough right. oxygen and there are a lot of potentially unidentified risk factors um, for people who are subscribing to this without really knowing, you know, it seems yes. benign and, you know, there's a lot of very sensational claims out there. Well, and by mouth taping, you're not addressing the underlying cause, right? So people could have allergies, sinus infectives, deviated septums, as I mentioned, enlarged tonsils, enlarged adenoids. These are things that should be addressed by a clinician and you shouldn't just be masking the issue, you know, no pun intended, with, with tape. So, you know, if you have concerns, if you find that you're snoring more or you're restless or, you know, especially if you're seeing changes in your breathing patterns or your sleep patterns, that's worth speaking to a clinician. But, you know, I, I guess some people are like, what's the risk? You know, what's the risk? There are risks, especially, again, if if there's some issue or blockage for, for, for breathing through your nose and you're... <laughs> You're blocking right. your other source of air. I know. Um, it's it. Yeah, it seems very 
for me, it seems very claustrophobic on top of it. And, and you know, there, there again, there's limited data to support or refute it. There have been a couple of small studies that looked at things like snoring and asthma symptoms and so on and so forth. One small study with 30 people, you know, showed a modest decrease in snoring. A, a separate study with 36 people showed no change in asthma symptoms after mouth taping. So the evidence is anecdotal. And yeah. it just, there's anecdotal, not a whole lot anecdotal at best. And actually, a, no, right. a more recent study, you know, showed that after people had done mouth taping, they were still trying to breathe through my ma- mouth and doing this thing called puffing where they go. And they're trying yes. to force their because something is obstructing their breathing. So so there's even though their mouth is taped shut, they're still trying to breathe through their mouth. So yes. anyway, anecdotal evidence at best for very limited conditions, and there are a substantial number of risks associated with it. So the one other last thing, and then we should move on to the next um, trend, is that I will say that I I saw that there were some clinicians who said, you know, maybe, maybe this is something they'd recommend for some patients, but again, it's something that you should talk to your clinician to figure out if you're even a candidate for it, that you're using the right tape, you're doing it properly. And I guess the the thing now is that they're saying like you, you start 10 minutes a day while you're awake and then you sort of, you know, you're, you're increasing that until your body gets acclimated and then you switch to mouth taping overnight. But again, do not do this until you speak with your clinician and heaven forbid, please do not use anything other than, than medical tape. All right. What's next, Andrea? Let's do wet feet, wet socks. That's okay. the one I wanted you okay. to do. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll, save, we'll save the rest of them maybe for next time. But um, so another one that's gotten a lot of attention on TikTok is wet socks on your feet while you sleep is going to cure a variety of ailments. It's going to get rid of your fever. It's going to cure your congestion or the illness that's causing those symptoms. So it's not a new fad, but it's gotten new attention on TikTok. So people on TikTok and elsewhere are calling this magic socks. So the logic that is um, used by proponents of this is the cold, wet socks on your feet is going to force your immune system to activate, and it's going to get it to kick in, and then it's going to fight off all your ailments and also detox your body. It all comes back to detoxing in the end. So so the explanation, again, when your feet begin to cool because of the wetness of the socks, the blood vessels in your feet are going to constrict. That's going to shuttle all the nutrients from your feet blood vessels to the rest of your body. And then when your feet warm up, the blood vessels are going to dilate and then it's going to release all the toxins. And I'm really struggling with the logic here because it doesn't really make a lot of sense just biologically. But anyway, the premise is they use wet cotton socks and they put a pair of dry wool socks on top of them to kind of insulate it. Um, And then they say, again, the circulation and and the lymph is redirected to the feet to warm it back up. It, It just flushes all the congestion from your head out of your body. Maybe we'll put the protocol up, but basically you soak some cotton socks in ice cold water, you put them on, you put the wool socks on on top of that. Um, They also note in some of the protocols that your child may wake up from sweating in the night, cold sweating or or so, and and then, you know, put them in dry pajamas, but don't put dry socks on them. Just keep the wet socks on. So again, there's no evidence that this is a thing. There's no biological plausibility that this will be effective. There's 
really no reason to put wet socks on your body at all. Um, again, you're How uncomfortable. No, I'm just <laughs> I mean, I, when I go running and it's raining out or if I have to do like a water crossing, like I hate that feeling. And I cannot imagine actually being able to fall asleep with wet socks on, much as putting them on a child and expecting them to get a good night's rest with cold, while wet socks sick. on. Right. On while they're sick. Right. So right. Sick. I think we forgot that part. Yeah. While they're sick, you're while they're right. feeling terrible. So again, no, this is not how your immune system works. Your immune system is doing its job if you're sick. It's not focused on your feet. It's Nothing's happening at your feet. It's not detoxing your body. It's not improving circulation. It's not, I don't know, unclogging your lymph system or any of the other claims. Some people claim that it works. And again, I think it is important to acknowledge that placebo effect can be powerful for some people. And if they believe that they're feeling better, um, you know, it could be do that. It could also simply do be due to the fact that 12 hours have passed and you're on the precipice of feeling better anyway. And so time has passed and your immune system actually did its job completely, you know, separate from the wet socks. Did you say, Andrea, when you were setting up the protocol that like the key to this is that you warm the feet first? Did you already say that? Sorry. Oh, I didn't. No. Yeah. So you want to warm the feet, then you want to put the cold socks on, then you want to put the wool socks on on top and, you know, all that. I mean, but... It, it obviously, we know, there's no biological plausibility. That's why we're getting all, you know, <laughs> we're like, how are people doing this? Yeah. So the claim is that you're you're warming your feet, then you're cooling them, and that's somehow, like, your body is going to kick in yes. to try to warm the feet, and then that is also going to trigger your immune system. Right. And Andrea, as an immunologist, is telling you all that that's not, that's not yeah. biologically yeah. plausible. That's not what happens. Yeah. And also, again, as we'll, we'll keep reiterating, the theme is that your body your liver, your kidneys, your lungs, they are doing detoxing and your immune system is doing the fighting off infection part of the job. Again, generally speaking, the risks of this are low, but you know, people that subscribe to this sort of science and health misinformation are at risk of falling prey to other more insidious health misinformation, which we've talked about before. But there are risks for people that have circulatory issues, especially those that are affected in the extremities. So anybody with diabetes, we know feet and hands don't don't mess with them. Raynaud syndrome, which is um, a circulatory issue that's very often associated with various autoimmune disorders and other circulatory issues should definitely not be doing this. Also, you know, these sorts of things, if the socks, if you don't have 100% wool socks and the socks are not drying, it can lead to other sorts of things like neuropathies and circulatory problems. And depending on the temperature, I mean, and the sensitivity of the person, it could lead to things like hypothermia or frostbite as well. Less of a concern because you're laying down, but certainly extended periods of wet socks or wet clothing, in particular cotton, can lead to things like blistering and skin damage. So, you know, that's not great either. Well, Andrea, another thing that we often talk about is that even if, like, let's say the risks are low, if you're foregoing necessary medical diagnosis and treatment, then that is also a problem. Yes. You know, if rather than taking your child to the pediatrician and getting them antibiotics, if they're warranted, um, you know, and instead you're just putting wet socks on their feet, right. that is then a problem. Yes, absolutely. Um, oh my gosh, there are so many trends we want to ta- tackle. I know we're out of time this week. There are so many things related to potatoes and onions and garlic that all fall into the, you know, the appeal to nature fallacy. We're going to get into those next week. There are so many things we want to talk about. But Andrea, do you want to take us home? Yes. So 
Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you learned a thing or two. And if you want more unbiased science and you want access to our private Facebook group and our monthly live Q&As, please check out our Substack. So we do post extended content there periodically, but the biggest perk is those monthly live Q&As and you get to weigh in on future podcast topics and also submit questions for our Herd from the Herd segments. It's $5 a month. You can check it out at theunbiasedscipod.substack.com. And yes, next episode, we will tackle part two of the TikTok health hack trends that have taken the world by storm. We will continue to provide updates on COVID-19, influenza, respiratory syncytial virus, and all sorts of other science and health topics on our social media accounts. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Unbiased SciPod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. I am a scientist.